Hey everyone, welcome back to the Brain New Podcast. I'm Milo Charbel, your host. And this week we're going to be doing something a little bit differently. Um, we're going to see how you guys like it. This could be the way we're going to do things for a little while, but this topic is kind of hard to digest. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of pieces to it. And so we want to take the time to thoroughly address all those pieces. And to do that, we're going to be spending little mini-sodes every week building up to the bigger piece of the picture in order to fully kind of understand what's going on. So today we're going to be talking about brain-computer interfaces in our journey to discovering how we can decode the brain using software and hardware that's available to us today. So science has come a really long way to be able to decipher exactly what our brain is doing. And we have tons of hardware available for us that can measure the electrical activity in the brain. When neurons are communicating, they send electrical impulses to each other. And these hardware can pick up the electrical impulses. However, we have a localization problem. We can really only pick up signals from surfaces that are very close to the instruments that we're using. So some examples of non-invasive hardware that can pick up this electrical signaling in the brain are EEG, which uh, is something I'm very familiar with. I used to work in a lab that put EEG caps on people and had them move their hands in response to a task in order to kind of see where the initiation of movement was happening in the brain and what that image looked like. So EEG, or electroencephalography, is just a combination of different electrodes. They're usually joined on a cap, and you put the cap on your head, and the goal is to get the electrodes as close to your scalp as possible. They can detect the electrical signals that are right underneath your skull in your brain. However, they can only measure the cortical activity, activity that's on the first millimeter or so of your brain's surface, which is called the cortex. And that's all right. A lot of the activity in the brain does sort of happen in the cortex. And so with EEG, what's happening is you're getting a measurement of what the brain is doing. So, for example, you can have someone with an EEG cap on say something to you or think about how they feel about a certain thing or you can scare them and see what happens. And the goal is to figure out what part of the brain is being activated and exactly how it's being activated. And neuronal signaling happens in a series of measurements known as Hertz, or electrical measurements, and EEG electrodes can detect those. And depending on the strength of the electrical signal in Hertz, we can detect the strength of that response. Another cool example of non-invasive hardware is TMS, or transcranial magnetic stimulation. TMS is kind of complicated, and honestly, I'm not totally sure I completely understand it, but basically, in electric fields, we also have a magnetic field. And electric fields and magnetic fields can interplay with each other. And so having this coil that sends a magnetic stimulus down onto the brain actually affects the electrical signaling of the neurons. And so with the TMS coil, rather than detecting neuron activity, you can actually stimulate neuron activity. And so with TMS, you can take this coil and you can place it over someone's motor cortex strip and you can send an impulse down and see what happens. Maybe their arm moves, maybe their leg moves, maybe their fingers move, maybe their face moves, yada, yada, yada. So these non-invasive hardwares are really cool. However, they come with a problem. And the problem is they can't be that precise because your skull is in the way. And so the signals that they pick up and the signals that they send out aren't going to be as robust as something that's a little bit more invasive. 
So the more invasive big brother of EEG is something called ECOG, or electrocorticography. And this is a small strip of electrodes that can sense the neuronal activity. However, it's not placed above the skull, but rather surgically placed literally on top of the brain, underneath the skull. And ECOG basically does the same thing as EEG, and it just measures their neuronal signals, but at much better accuracy and resolution. And TMS also has a big brother known as a microelectrode array. And this is also an invasive technique that's placed underneath the skull. And these are actually little strips of electrodes that can extend between one to three millimeters down into the brain and actually produce a stimulus. And so unlike TMS, where producing that stimulus will produce some unwanted results because you can't be super accurate, with microelectrode arrays or just a microelectrode, you can actually deliver a stimulus to the exact neuron that you want to stimulate. And microelectrode therapies are actually being used today to treat Parkinson's. There is something called deep brain stimulation, or DBS, that is basically an electrode that is implanted deep within the brain near the substantia nigra. And the substantia nigra is a location in the brain where many of our dopamine neurons originate. And in Parkinson's disease, these neurons begin to degrade. Interestingly enough, people with Parkinson's don't actually start to show symptoms until about 80% of those neurons are gone. And when those neurons are gone, they can no longer send stimulations down that tract. And the most noticeable symptoms you'll see in people with Parkinson's are problems with cessation of movement and initiation of movement. So DBS tries to solve that lack of stimulation that originates in these dopamine neurons. And so by placing electrodes down near the substantia nigra, we can re-stimulate those downstream neurons and effectively have a curable treatment for Parkinson's. The results are pretty amazing, really. When we think of Parkinson's, we probably think of that essential tremor of someone trying to eat and the spoon falling out of their hand or just wobbling a lot. But really, Parkinson's has many more symptoms that may not be evident to someone who isn't caring for someone with the disease. And so a lot of physical symptoms will manifest first, like those tremors, having trouble stopping to walk, having trouble starting to walk, general balance issues. But as time goes on, people with Parkinson's tend to develop cognitive declines. They tend to grapple with things like depression, sometimes hallucination, because loss of dopamine is also associated with schizophrenia. So a lot of times you'll see some overlap between the two. And so depending on the severity and the length of time that a person with Parkinson's had before diagnosis and the implantation of this DBS, those symptoms start to subside at a very weird and ironic rate. They tend to go away at the same rate that they came in. So if it took someone about a month to start seeing cognitive declines, after having the DBS in for about a month, they probably will start to see cognitive decline diminish in about a month. I mean, when I learned about this, I was just absolutely shocked and amazed at how seemingly simple, just little bits of electricity deep inside our brain can have such profound effects. And I urge you all to Google DBS stimulator on, DBS off, because once that entire mechanism is turned off because it can be usually it's an electrode deep within the brain but it's attached to a stimulator usually implanted in someone's shoulder or somewhere away from the head and it can be turned on and off at will really 
And when it's turned off, it's like the symptoms come back immediately. And it's just insane to see how when it's turned on, they're back to normal. No shaking, nothing. And so it's truly amazing to see how far hardware has come in us being able to truly try to understand our brain. And this idea of trying to decode the brain goes much further than just using hardware to pick up the neural signals. And so the next piece of the puzzle when talking about BCIs is software. And software is pretty crazy because not only have we developed software in order to read the neural data that we get from these hardware pieces, but we've made software that tries to emulate the brain. And that's where in the field of AI and neural networks comes into play. Because just how the brain has certain pathways and how certain neurons in concert with each other mean a very specific thing in neural networks that are very complex, it mimics the exact way that the brain really does its own job. And we have certain nodes in this neural network that when activated a certain way over time, because you've taught it to be activated that way, will record exactly what you just inputted. So Google's search engine actually uses some very sophisticated AI and neural network technology that has been developed and is currently still being developed. And when you search something in the search bar, it takes your search and the countless millions of others who have searched something similar or the same, and it will track what you click on in order to give the next person a better experience. Because when you're trying to search something, chances are someone else is trying to search for something similar, but you're not gonna word it the same way. And in order for Google to stay on top of the game, the goal is to make sure that you both see what you want even though you haven't truly searched the same exact thing. But we're gonna talk about neural networks next time, and we're gonna talk about them in a lot more brief detail because they're truly a force to be reckoned with and something that I still don't truly understand even though I've tried to work with them a little bit. But using software in combination with hardware allows us to see what's going on in the brain and what the brain sees when we do things. From the motor cortex, we can look at what the brain sees when you move a part of your body. From something called the arcuate fasciculus, we can see how the brain creates speech. And speech is going to be something that we're going to look at. And we're going to investigate over the coming weeks how certain improvements in neural networks have given us the ability to decipher brain wavelengths and brain electrical activity in speech-producing areas and how we can use those to recreate speech without having a person talk that is just as fast and has just the same cadence as the way I'm speaking to you right now. Learning about this stuff is pretty daunting because not only are we talking about science here, but then math comes into play and numbers start jumping around and then words start getting in with the numbers and the, the alphabet and the numbers and stuff just stops making sense. But if we think about our future, this could potentially be something that we all have. We're all, maybe we're all going to get a brain implant later in life. Maybe we're all going to get DBS to some extent. Uh, maybe it's going to be like Cyberpunk. Who's excited for that game? Maybe we can go shopping one day for what kind of brain implants do you want? Do you want to be able to talk Chinese? Okay, here's a brain implant that teaches you Chinese. So this emergent research could potentially be something that's going to change the world and a decade, in two decades, three decades, whatever it may be. But the importance of learning about it now just goes to show how valuable that information will be in the future and how you're learning about it today when it may be something that your children or your grandchildren will be able to experience. But truthfully, I hope that we can experience it too. Thanks for tuning in this week, and I hope you tune in next week to learn a bit more about neural networks on our journey to decoding the brain.
As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, leave a review, and visit us on our website at www.brainewpodcast.com, B-R-A-I-N-N-E-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com. Subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on social media, on Instagram, and on Twitter. We'd love to connect with all of you. Thanks for listening. See you next week.